welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. We are back. We're here. We are live in the uh, Flyby West Studios here on the Ponderosa in beautiful bucolic uh, Nolan's Wood, Pennsylvania, uh, Tennessee, wherever we are. No- Nolan's Cola, Florida. Scene. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, and uh, Nate. Yeah, Nate. I have seen that you have not responded to some people on the Pirate Monk uh, Facebook page. Oh, so Don't you call, call me out, out on the podcast? Well, he called you on, on the podcast and you didn't reply. <laughs> oh that, no! Like, and that was that was like a long time ago. So you have to answer their question first before oh. anything else happens. Oh, Are you okay. ready for the question? Sure. What is the question? Greg Bedford asks. Yeah. Are you posting the podcast on iTunes anymore? I can't get this on Podbean. At least I can't get it to download. The best time for me to listen is while I'm driving between jobs, and I don't want to stream it, so I don't use a lot of data. Help. Okay. And then uh, John Davis Jr. has asked, I haven't seen any after the last one in May on the 6th. Uh, nothing for June. Has the Pirate Monk podcast ended? These uh, two questions need to be answered post haste. All right. Okay. And forthwith. And forthwith. All right. Well, yeah, I cannot answer any technical questions about iTunes <laughs> podcast streaming. I don't know anything. I don't. It's pure magic to me how these conversations actually get into the hands of other people. So I'm. Not, I don't know. We might be doing this, this for nothing. Maybe hand, nobody... hand, it, hand it off to Mondo now. Pass the buck, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was told somebody told me that iTunes. Uh, you can kind of, you can find the podcast on iTunes, but iTunes doesn't have all episodes. It rotates which episodes it shows. Has anybody heard this? No. Uh-uh. Yeah, I don't know. See, having listened to the podcast while we record it, I never bothered to listen to it again. Same. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we probably should do some investigation. Yeah. Okay, all of those yeah. out there in listener land who are, uh, unlike me, not technically challenged, if you can delve into the intricacies. We're crowdsourcing solutions. That's so right. modern. <laughs> <laughs> answer Greg's question. He needs an answer. And, uh, yeah, boy, it's been a long time since we sat around this table yeah. and uh, did a podcast, and it's mostly my fault. Things got really busy for us. I'm going to blame it on my wife, right. actually. Yeah. My, yeah, my wife had knee replacement surgery. And I'm one of those lucky guys in recovery whose marriage survived. I've got a, uh, and I'm happy that I was around when she needed me. So I got to see her through cancer treatment a couple of years ago and now seeing her through some joint replacement stuff. But that meant relocating to the rehab center where she uh, recovered from the surgery. Uh, for a month, sleeping on a very comfortable cot. Huh. Not. <laughs> oh, man. Like you must have gotten the deluxe version. Yeah, no. Oh, my that Lord. Of the, that of the Dr. Seuss version. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, that, that uh, I've been so occupied. Allie and I have been so fully occupied that we've had to trim so many things that we love to do, and one of them was this podcast. But we're back. Yay. Yay. There we go. We're back. Uh, so what's happened in the intervening weeks, my brothers? 
Good lord. I mean, I got a haircut and a new tattoo. <laughs> did, did anybody hear that I had a kid? Yes! <laughs> He's six months next week. Yeah. It's been that old. It's been that long, yeah. Yeah, got, what, yeah I don't even know where to start, man. Yeah. Uh, shoot. Well, first of all, explain the polo shirt. I mean, that has something to do with... Oh, the polo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mondo, it's amazing. Mondo's wearing... There's a crease in the pants. He's yeah. got... Uh, He's got a polo shirt on. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hot. First uh, of all. Okay. All right. <laughs> so I, I'll tell myself, man. So I'm kind of a sweaty guy. All right. You know, and so when the humidity's terrible, oh, it's yeah. pretty bad. So yeah. um, I thought I'd wear a long sleeve dress shirt. You know, to work a few days. Not a good idea, man. Oh. It was to the point where I, after a meeting, I mean, I was literally trying to keep my arms down and stop from like waving because I, <laughs> I saw it myself. <laughs> and then after the meeting, I was like, I, you know, I'm going home. Went yeah. home, took a shower, changed shirts, put a short sleeve, like, hey, sorry, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah, I yeah, just yeah. can't. So, but, uh, yeah, so just work-related, man. You know? I got it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I can impress you every time I walk in, and, you know, this is nice. <laughs> this is nice. That, that just tells me how many years I wasn't impressing you. <laughs> 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 no, look at how Mondo cleans up. Yeah, yeah man. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, how's life for you out there in the Golden State? Oh, man, it's... It's summer with uh, four children in the house and a wife who overbooks summers. Oh. So it's tiring. <laughs> I can't wait for school to start. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just busy, running around, lots of summer classes for kids, art classes, going to the beach, just constant. Oh, I'm right. tired. Yeah. I'm worn out. You That's poor all guy. I have to say about that. You poor guy. You actually have to drive to the beach every day. <laughs> yeah. So, so tiring. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, at least we have Percy Priest. You That's know. right. <laughs> hey, how about uh, how about we check out the mailbag? Yeah, let's do it. Anybody want to? We have we've gotten. Uh, and by the way, my apologies uh, to those of you who are waiting on your copies of that great book, Jesus Bread and Chocolate, by John Chocolate. Joseph Thompson. Yeah, uh, the copies have arrived. Not enough of them, but I do have some copies. Okay. And they're in my office, but I have been too busy to get them in the mail. I will get them in the mail. All right. Uh, all right. So here, here's here's a here's a letter that came in while we were away. Hello, Nate and the Pirate Monks. My name's Cody, writing to you guys from Nampa, Idaho. All right. I was listening to your podcast in my car, and I heard one of you guys mention Nampa. Is it Nampa? 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 I don't know. I don't know who would have mentioned it. Was, it, it wasn't you. No, it wasn't me. No. That's <laughs> right. He said, I giggled like a girl because I was so excited someone from the podcast knew my town. Um, anyways, I've been wanting to write to you guys for a long time now and tell you how grateful I am for the book and for this podcast. I was introduced to Samson and the Pirate Monk shortly after I'd relapsed into pornography. I've been an addict now since I was 13 years old. My big relapse happened after a year of sobriety. During this year, I was co-leader of a failing Bible study. When the topic of porn came up, I was the go-to guy who was cured of the porn addiction. I was proud that I overcame porn. Then one night, I slipped into my old ways worse than before, and this went on for about a month. And then I was invited to book a to a book club slash Bible study at a coffee house. So I went to it for the first 30 of the minute and for the first 30 of the, uh, for the first 30 minutes of the meeting before I had to leave for work. They gave me a copy of Samson and the Pirate Monks and I, and told me to read the first three chapters for next week's meeting. 
Well, I didn't know this was the first meeting, and they hadn't actually read the first three chapters. Anyway, I took the book to work and read eight chapters of it that night. I worked 12-hour graveyards at a drug and alcohol rehab center as a tech. During the night when the clients are asleep, I'm free to read books and study. I never actually looked into recovery for myself because I didn't think of myself as an addict, and I didn't want other people knowing current my problems. I kept that kind of stuff hidden. So, your book, the podcast, and my group of brothers has changed my way of thinking, acting, and everything I do. I'm grateful that our group started this process of recovery at a young age and helping other men who are struggling with similar issues. I'd love to tell you more about what's going on in this email, but it's getting too long already. By the way, I'm currently the oldest in our group at 20 years old, Hmm. and the youngest is 14. Your book has impacted our lives and prepared us to follow God and minister to those who we find along the way, side by side. Thank you, and God bless each of you. And he sends me, actually, a picture of their... Guys, we should post this on the... Oh, they look very, very, very dapper, very sharp. Mm-hmm. We should, yeah. we should yeah. post this, but strictest confidently. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Nate, it, it, there's an interesting uh, conversation in that when he said I had I was the expert. Yeah. The uh, out of porn expert. Yeah. That totally clicked and reminded me of some of our earlier conversations when you were still writing the book mm-hmm. and just starting to talk about it. And I was really worried for you for that exact reason. Oh, sure. That becoming the expert, yeah. how were you going to have space to fail right. and get up again? How was that pressure going to... So I, what, what would you say, especially to guys who have found themselves in the de facto position as expert healed yeah. person. Well, first of all, understand that the church really wants, uh, the church loves to open its arms wide to former addicts. Uh, so they really, uh, they really want, there's a lot of pressure to be cured, to have your problems behind you. So, so that your testimony is all in the past tense. And, uh, and that's a, that's a difficult uh, pressure to resist because paradoxically, even though when we talk about our sin in our present tense, with humility, um, there we make ourselves the safest person in the room. We open the doors to conversation. Most of those conversations are going to occur outside the stated meetings of the church, uh, because within that structured setting, um, people get nervous. Um, people have always gotten nervous around sinners. Everybody but Jesus, right? So, um, and uh, I resonate with, uh, you know, Cody's story. Your concern was certainly not unfounded, Aaron, when I was writing the book because I I did relapse not long after I turned the manuscript in. Um, You know, I went ahead and just uh, stopped going to meetings in order to meet the deadline, uh, you know, worked hard in isolation turned the book in, went and looked at myself in the mirror and said, congratulations, Nate, you're the guy who wrote the book. Um, And really felt like I'd accomplished something. And it really was not very long after that that I just did a face plant back into the Internet. 
and I've told this story a number of times around the country, but I suppose it bears repeating here. I don't know that I've ever told it on the podcast. I didn't call my Silas after I relapsed. I was so full of shame. I went back to my old pattern of trying to f- to get my feet back under me myself and get enough distance that I could then, you know, confess it as a completed, past over and done thing. Uh, I tried to climb out of the hole by myself. Uh, that was like on a Friday. I hadn't said anything to anybody till Monday. Monday was the Samson meeting. And uh, so I go to the meeting, and that guy who's running the meeting picks honesty as the topic. <laughs> and we count off, and I get in a small group, and I'm there with four other guys. And, and I got two voices, and one voice is saying, you cannot tell the truth to these guys. They've pinned their hopes for recovery on you. Um, you will dash their faith that freedom is possible. Um, you have an obligation as a Christian leader to lie. That was one voice. And, and the other voice said, if you start lying again, you're dead. Um, you have to tell the truth, and this is a safe place to do it. And so I did not, I was not the, I didn't jump in. I'm typically one of the first to share and I didn't. I waited and waited and then, and then finally said, guys, I got to tell you something. So I disclosed and that felt so good. And, and I saw, well, I should have known what happened. These guys didn't move away from me. They moved toward me. Um. So when we reconvened for the close, I, I broke protocol and did something that, that, you know, we seldom do in a Samson meeting. I asked for permission to speak, and I said, I just want to let everybody know that I relapsed hard a few days ago. And uh, I have some experience in relapse. My first three, three and a half years in recovery, I relapsed regularly. Um, and uh, so I know what's coming. I've scratched the itch, and it's going to itch like crazy. Uh, and I'm going to be especially vulnerable for the next couple of weeks. So I passed around a, a notebook, and I said, I don't want to burden one guy with as many phone calls as I need to make, because I think I need to make a phone call an hour. And I numbered it down, I think, from like 7 in the morning to 8 at night or something like that. I said, uh, if you're willing to take a call from me at a stated time, would you just write your name down and give me the phone number in case I don't have it? And so for the next couple of weeks, I made phone calls uh, to those guys and made a phone call every hour and was able, you know, to so that that, uh, the, you know, the lust thing went down. I was able to get enough distance and get my footing again. And meanwhile, I was able to do this healthy thing that's essential to the Christian life, which is to confess my sin, at least this part of my sin. We make a great error, those of us in recovery, for any addiction by thinking that you know, righteousness hinges upon our performance in that area and that area alone. But that's a whole different topic. Anyway, um, what amazed me was that in the years that followed, there were several times when a guy would say, you know, Nate, there's something you said once that changed my life. And, uh, you know, I, so I'd, I'd lean in to hear, you know, what, what gem of wisdom did I impart, you know, that was so <laughs> transformational. And they would say, it was at that meeting where you talked about your slip. And that night I knew if Nate could be honest, I could be honest. Um, 
So yeah, it's uh, it is not healthy to any group to have an expert, and it's not helpful for any expert to be an expert, right? All right. Yeah. All right. Sermon over. <laughs> That's good. I, that it's an important thing. Yeah. I, I, no, nobody who's taken their first steps into honesty and recovery can understand what you're saying until they're in that position when they've succeeded long enough that they start to put all their righteousness eggs in that basket yeah and then failure isn't an option and so it has to be lied about when it comes yeah yeah yep we have a freedom that's far better than that mm-hmm. right i'm thankful you know when i was a kid there was this phrase that you know, our God was the God of a second chance. He's the God of the second chance, which seemed like a good thing, except uh, there was only one second chance, right? Yeah, until you <laughs> used it up. <laughs> <laughs> and after, you know, after taking that chance and failing again, boy, it was just so disheartening. I'm glad we don't have the God of the second chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, we have got a great guest with us who has made the long drive down from Louisville, Kentucky to be with us. And we're going to get with him in a great conversation as soon as we come back here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Okay, we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast, and we have with us today uh, a first-time author, and I'm glad he waited until he really had something to say before he wrote his book, because he's written a wonderful book. It'll be out in August. It's called Crossroad, and uh, Ken Snyder is here with us. Thanks for thanks for coming down, Ken. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I suppose I, I like Ken a lot, partly because his story is so much like mine, uh, and our, my, his experience resonates with mine, and he just has a beautiful way of sharing it. I want to read a selection, just a piece here, just a snippet from Crossroad. You're describing the group of guys that you hang with up there in Louisville. Uh, on, well, when they first come, men are told that they've checked into essentially a MASH unit, a kind of mobile army surgical hospital. It's for treatment of the wounded, by those who know the same wounds and who have found healing. Uh, They can meet and share the most shameful and intimate details of their lives because they have become God with skin on to each other. And I love the way, Ken, by the way, that you you weave the, the, the Bible in and out of your story, and you do that here. The woman at the well, written about in the Gospel of John, encountered the literal God with skin on, Jesus Christ. As she looked into the eyes of this man who was the embodiment of the purest love ever, she saw no judgment. The men who gather look into eyes that also hold no judgment. Who can be embarrassed as both speaker and listener all share the same shame, the same embarrassment, the same sin? Who else also can understand? Who else can be God with skin on? It is the first step in what an addict fears most, real intimacy. The setting and the safety are as unlikely as this woman, the immortal outcast, the immoral outcast of her village, meeting the Son of God at a well in Samaria. 
There's no church staff member or pastor that leads. In fact, there's no real leader or recovery guru, period. Leaders, if they can be called that, and they aren't, but facilitators, are simply men who've achieved recovery over no real specified period of time. Practically all of the men are Christians, yet the language can tend toward saltiness routinely. They meet in a church, yet a significant percentage of the men come from other churches or no church. And lastly, while they meet at a church and are officially part of it, they are perhaps alarmingly independent of it. In fact, many of the men refer to the meetings as their church. Sounds awfully familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Familiar? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I want to hear some of the backstory, Ken. I want to find out how you got to the place where... Oh, by the way, how old are you? I am 63. 63. Okay. You got just about five years on me. All right. No wonder you're smarter than I am. Um, you got to tell us, tell us a story. Did you, uh, did you grow up in church? I grew up Pentecostal holiness and oh. have the guilt hammered into me to, to attest to it. So, okay. yes. Yeah. Now, okay. I hope I don't offend anybody with that, but uh, I've been around the horn. I was a charismatic Catholic, Pentecostal holiness, uh, Church of Christ, Disciples of God. What, I, my next stop is, is I think, Nation of Islam, but I, well, I don't know. <laughs> just touch them all. We, we, will, we will see. If you see me wearing a bow tie, you will know. That's where I've gone. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm a church mongrel myself. Been around the horn a lot, and met good folks every oh, place. Yeah. But yeah, challenges. Okay. So you grew up, and you had. So you were introduced to moralistic Christianity. Oh, definitely. Yeah. God will crush you like a bug if you don't honor those moralistic. Yeah. Tenets. Now, outwardly, were you a performer? Did how did people? Were you a, a rebel? What did folks think when they looked at Ken Snyder, the young man? Uh, entertainer. Oh, really? Uh, life of the party, the guy everybody loved. Very, very popular. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was it was shtick. Yeah. Uh, you know, to to win acceptance and approval, but at the same time keep people at a distance. Mm-hmm. You know, like me, but don't love me because I'm not lovable. Yeah. Wow. Just describe the performer, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, Describe for us kind of how it how it went off the rails. At what age did you marry? Uh, what was your uh, you know adolescent early twenties uh, and thirties? What was it like? Uh, I caught well. Masturbation began with like with probably the majority of, of adolescents at about age thirteen. Yeah. I, I was probably a little slow actually, but it really ramped up very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to college and uh, became a hippie. I'm I'm a child of the late '60s, early '70s. Heavy, right. heavy drug use. Right. Communal living. You know the whole nine yards. Uh, and you would think being a sex addict in you know in the age of the, of right. the uh, love era that uh, I would be very promiscuous, but I never had dates, never had girlfriends, and that's when the addiction began to really victimize me, and that's when well, that's when the wall went up around me. Mm-hmm. Uh, got out of school, got a job, cut my hair, uh, stopped doing drugs for the most part, yeah, uh, and met a young woman who who I fell in love with and. Uh, it never occurred to me that, that that isolation and pattern of behavior would carry on into marriage. Right. And uh, we we had sex, premarital sex. I was not serving God then. I was not a Christian. I mean, been a hippie. I yeah. thought I was an atheist at one time. And uh, got married, marital sex for six months, and then I had absolutely zero interest in her physically. Yeah. Uh, it was too intimate. 
It, mm. it was too connected to emotional intimacy. Yeah. Uh, and too much a part of that for me to be, I mean, I'm an addict. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want intimacy. Yeah. So it, it destroyed my marriage. Uh, it lasted three and a half years. One, a wonderful girl. I was, just recently was able to make amends to her. Beautiful. Uh, and I was so happy to do that. I, I am divorced, and so it gave me the opportunity, uh, uh, since I am divorced, to actually, she's married, to make amends yeah. to her. She lives yeah. in Phoenix, and I wrote her a letter. And yeah. It was a, real, it was a burden I carried for 30 years. Uh, I came back to the Lord after my divorce, or as I was saved as a child, and I came yeah. back to the Lord and married a wonderful woman. Uh, she was, uh, I don't want to get into denominations, but she did not know the Lord. I led her to God. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I thought everything was going to be roses, and the very same pattern repeated itself. Right. Uh, sex initially, good marital sex, and then none. Yeah. Uh, we still managed to have three kids. Uh, my wife, being a Christian, uh, had grace for me. Yeah. And uh, so the marriage was awful, but we persevered. We endured the separation, and uh, uh, the first 20 years were pretty crummy. The last 10 years or 11 years was when recovery was going on. Yeah. So things got exponentially better right. through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> unpack for me, if you will, a little bit of how your. Well, first of all, how did you get into recovery? You didn't just wake oh, wow. up one day and say, "You know, I think enough of this. I think I'll go get yeah. help." Well, I, I, to me, it's a it's a literal miracle, and and it's just how how awesome God is that he he just doesn't care about you've got to do things a certain way. Yeah. Uh, my prayer t- that really unlocked the door that he answered as far as what was wrong with me was a big screaming match my wife and I had in the mm. garage one day. And I said, I got something wrong with me, and I don't know what it is. Wow. And our God, who is so incredible, he heard that, and yeah. he answered that prayer for me. A couple of weeks later, I was watching a, a TV show I, I would have never been watching, and Doug Weiss was on there. You're oh, yeah, sure. Familiar I know with Doug. Doug. Yeah. And it was like, okay, so that's what's wrong with me. I got Doug's tape series at the time that he had. This was in the the uh, late 80s, I think, Mm -hmm. and uh, found out I was a sex addict. Yeah. So uh, at the time, churches, there there wasn't that much in the area of faith-based ministries to sex addicts. So I went the secular route, and uh, that was kind of a disaster. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I did not encounter, I learned a lot about addiction, but I didn't encounter men with recovery. Yeah. And uh, to be quite blunt about it, you know, one guy's, I'll never forget, one guy's higher power was a doorknob. Yeah. And another guy's higher power was his truck. And yeah. uh, neither one of those things ever got on a cross and died for you yeah. to set yeah. you free. Yeah. yeah. And it is only through through the power of Jesus that any of us can be redeemed and set free from yeah. our addiction and, and be entering into recovery. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we moved churches uh, in around 2000, and there was a group there, a faith-based group. It had been going on for only maybe a year or so, uh-huh. uh, founded by an ex-convict who had gone to prison for uh, statutory rape. Uh-huh. And uh, God got a hold of him in prison. Yeah. And he gets out, and, and uh, our pastor at the time, I go to a very large megachurch, he had the wisdom to see that, you know, there's a need. Yeah. And and so it's uh, that was that was the beginning of it. So I started going right away. I had a, had a relapse. And uh, we, we have, re- everybody rebounds in our group, it seems like. You, they show up for a while, and then they leave. Yeah. When they come back, they're going to stay, probably. Yeah. So that's kind of the way that works. Yeah, yeah. So you've been been with these guys now for? 15 years. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Terrific. Tremendous group. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I love the way that um, in your book you uh, don't pass up an opportunity to open a door on the gospel mm. as you're telling your own story and as you're describing the process, uh, the problem of, of addiction and the process of recovery. Um, have you found, what, what's been kind of the spiritual benefit of recovery for you? Well, you know, the best way to, to, to answer that question is, you know, we are, we describe ourselves as a 12-step group, and really we're not. Yeah. I mean, we have a fifth step mm-hmm. that's presented to the group, and I, we all believe, and I, I, I believe firmly, it's very important for a sex addict to tell his story to a group, yeah. not a one-on-one type model, but really we're a two-step group. And I kind of came up with this off of AA. And yeah. it is, you know, one, the first step is stop masturbating. And two, change everything else about your life. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I mean, and but what happens is when you stop acting out, mm-hmm. you open your spiritual door for God to come in yeah. and for him to begin transforming you. And, and sure enough, everything else about your life changes. Yeah. Uh, our meetings, again, they're a little, they can... They're just a bunch of guys. Yeah. I always say we fart and belch with the best of them. Yeah. I mean, but uh, I've never been in an environment where I can feel, hear, touch, smell, taste the Spirit of God like yeah. in our meetings yeah. because there is, it's just, there's no judgment. And where there's no judgment, that leaves a vacuum that God's love fills. Yes. That's the only way I know to describe it. Yeah, yeah. So these, these guys that you've been walking with for 15 years, how many, I mean, I'm guessing people come and go. They do. They how do. Many, how many guys are in your group? We have uh, three meetings a week, and they, they range from 15 to 20 guys uh, on Tuesdays to about 35 on Thursdays because we have a wives group okay. that also meets on Thursdays. And then on Saturdays, which is the old pros meeting, uh, the veterans, and I'm in that, uh, about 20 guys usually. Okay. So. Are those all individual guys? Uh, each of them are, yes, individual, I mean, individual guys. groups. So individual groups. Guys. Most guys uh, just go to one meeting okay. a week. Yeah. Right. And then what is, I mean, what is the... How do you guys live out community? What's that look like? Are you calling guys every day, or and yeah. what's the standard that you that your your group kind of holds each other? It's we like a lot of you know. I do some research. I call people like Nate and uh, a guy in L.A. and a guy in the Northwest. Okay, what's going on? How do you guys work and whatever? And it seems like we're all really loose. Yeah, and it's the the whole sponsorship model from AA sure. is, uh, and we're we're not real heavy with it. Mm-hmm. We're not real disciplined with it, but. We do encourage that. Yeah. Uh, you guys call them silences. Right, yeah. Uh, and the best way, Newton, to answer that is I, I have a, a, a sponsor uh, who I email at least three or four times a day. Okay. And Monday mornings awesome. are our check-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the, t- the subject line on my, uh, on my email to him. Monday morning, first thing is check-in, okay? Yeah. This, is, this is what happened this weekend. It was a good weekend, whatever. Uh, and we talk on the phone, too. Sure. We do encourage... Uh, guys to to gravitate to that man or men who is further down the path who they can turn to for answers to questions and accountability does it happen right away unfortunately no i think each of us enters recovery that isolation is going to take a while to be to be brought down yeah and i think it takes six months and i know when in greeting new guys i say please give this six months to allow yourself time to bond to make friends with that individual that god has for you to be your silence right yeah 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 you were 
You're looking over here. Yeah. You're passing me the ball. Well, yeah, I'm just unaccustomed to Aaron's silence. He's usually that's how, that's he's usually tired. asked 15 questions by now. That's how, that's how tired Aaron is. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm listening. I was actually the one question I had. I was curious during those years of acting out. What what exactly did that look like for you? You mentioned masturbation. Was it? Uh, pornography as well, or was it mostly focused on masturbation? It was mostly focused on masturbation. Uh, I've never really needed porn, to be quite honest. I mean, uh, we each have different thresholds. I could simply fixate on a woman that I would see that day, and she would be material for masturbation. Uh, the pattern of being raised Pentecostal was I w- would not, and also having some Jewish ancestry. I got guilt all over the place. But at any rate, uh, I would uh, I would not allow myself to pray for 24 hours after masturbating. Uh-huh. Strangest kind of little little pharisaical yeah. ritual you could have, but yeah. nevertheless, that's what I would do. And then the guilt would ebb, and I'd get a fresh start. And of course, I'm doing this all by myself, so my own cycle was about a month. Mm-hmm. I'd be fine, and then uh, something would happen, and uh, I'd be, I'd, you know, either something good or something bad, usually something bad, and, and the, the cycle would start all over again. Yeah. yeah. So can we can we unpack this a little? Because I've actually recently been having a conversation that's very similar to this with somebody who uh, is discovering they're absolutely addicted to a behavior, but it's not attached to physically acting out with other women or with pornography, and that that can be a little confusing because, like you said, most boys have experienced this this thing since they were young. Most of society says this is totally natural, of course, you're supposed to, it's a release, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so finding the line of what is appropriate, inappropriate, when does this become an addiction? Uh, yes, this can be a problem within a marriage and your own life, even if you're not looking at pictures of naked women. I, I think all of that's a conversation most people don't have, and it touches more people's lives than anything else. Mm. It's an interesting proposition, and if I'm, if I'm understanding your question, Aaron, it's uh, – where does normalcy end and addiction begin? Would it be fair to say that's that's what you're maybe probing? Yeah, and, and along with uh, how what what is normalcy? I mean, obviously that's going to be uh, from the sin of owning people that any masturbation is spilling your seed and God will kill you. Um, to this is totally natural. Like there's going to be a range of Christians all over in that. So yeah. I th- I think it's uh, it's an individual thing. Uh, I, I'm hypersensitive to to women, basically, and uh, any and all, uh, not just pornography, but uh, even contact of of. I'm not talking about to an extreme, but I'm just, I'm triggered by any virtually any woman I see. So I, I'm hyper. I think I'm I call it an allergy to women. I'm I'm extremely allergic to women. I have a 21-year-old son, and one of the fruits of recovery is being able to lead him, uh, starting with the talk when he was 11. He, he was ready at that age. And uh, this, of course, he's discovered his sexuality, and he discovered masturbation. And uh, we, we talk about it a lot. We check in with it. I, I check in with him a great deal. And, and one of the things I've learned in our recovery group is do not shame anyone. Uh, men are going to masturbate. Uh, young men especially. I mean, they discover their sexuality. What, I, what I've always told him is, son, try to, keep the, try to keep a lid on that best you can, but whatever you do, 
do not ever masturbate when you're upset mm. because because then you're using it you're using something that's that's going to happen but you're using it as an escape and as a medication that's where the danger comes in because i mean let's face it we, we're all going to suffer bumps and bruises uh do we take those to god that's what we need to do but so many of us turn to sex or drugs or alcohol or gambling or adrenaline or, or any other substance mm-hmm. can we dovetail this nate to the article i sent you did you read that yeah i did i did uh i don't so have I, it I th- in front of my face but yeah so there's yeah aaron sent me an article this week uh i guess I'll, you found I'll it, pull it i'll pull it up while you summarize i'll find yeah it. yeah so uh, researchers in some prestigious institution of higher learning uh, monitored brain activity in self-identified sex addicts, I think, while they were watching pornography and compared that brain activity with uh, the brain activity of other kinds of addicts, uh, those addicted to substances, uh, so that uh, – when a cocaine addict looks at pictures of cocaine, certain things oh. happen. And uh, when, but so, when it so strictly visual, right? So, mm-hmm. so when a sex addict, self-identified sex addict, looked at pictures of sex, that same activity, brain activity, didn't happen. They concluded then, sex addiction isn't addiction. And uh, their concern is that if we treat it all as an addiction, we could actually be doing more harm than good. Which, which is kind of funny. I'm, I'm looking at the sentence right now. It says, typically addicts show increased brain reactions to the object of addiction. However, new findings published this week in the Journal of Biological Psychology showed people who struggle with excessive pornography consumption had decreased brain reactions when viewing porn. Uh, uh-huh. they are, are they saying that if you put like a pile of cocaine on the table – so we're just talking visual again, not the – because for for porn addiction, what they don't address in this article is masturbation goes with it, and the dopamine flood and all the chemical reaction that creates the neural pathways happen when you orgasm, mm-hmm. not when you're just simply looking at the porn. So I, I would wonder if they're actually saying, oh, typically addicts show increased brain reactions to the object of addiction, are they saying that if I was a cocaine addict and I saw cocaine, not when I did cocaine, that I would have this brain reaction? They weren't real clear on that. What what I thought was funny is that they used as their subjects people who they admitted have a problem with um, excessive pornography, compulsive uh, excessive pornography use. And they said, yeah, there are people for whom porn use is a problem but they're not addicts i don't quite get it all i know is but i I wonder like and i have not read the article yeah yeah study but i mean if we can just say that all cocaine is the same it's at least all cocaine yes qualities of it right all porn isn't the same no right no you know my own porn that i like and the porn that mondo likes maybe Totally different. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, don't bring Mondo into this. Sorry. <laughs> the porn that I like and the porn that Aaron likes. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and so I just wonder if, if you're showing, I don't know, 50 people the same, and is it a static image? Is it a moving image? If you show the same 50 people right. the same image, yeah. that may do nothing for me. 
I, I see big flaws in this yeah. study and in its conclusions. I'm sorry. I, I, I did too. I, Newton, to uh, kind of dovetail with what you're saying, I my own pattern was to I would have to sift through porn to find the right stuff. Oh, sure, yeah. Right. And so I think your point about, you know, what kind of test is going on, I don't know if this relates or not, but there was, uh, this was actually discussed from the pulpit in my church, a study where of uh, men watching pornography, and there, it was uh, very casually left uh, a baseball cap from a professional baseball team on top of the television. Mm-hmm. And and I don't I don't remember what the, what the researcher's objective was, but strangely enough, once this study was done, the presentation of that cap elicited arousal in those men. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, this is a, addiction is is simple, but yet it's also complex. Yeah, yeah. I I want to recommend again. Uh, we had on the show the author of the Porn Circuit, who works at Covenant Eyes. Yeah. And it really addresses this, and you can get the free uh, ebook on the Covenant Eyes website. It's Sam Black, Covenant. right? Uh, yeah, you just type in Covenant Eyes ebooks or the Porn Circuit, but it has whole sections that address this, and I think really help people whether they need to understand how pornography fits into their uh, these neurological pathways where. What you said about stress is so important. If I have habitualized this behavior that says when I am stressed out, when I'm afraid, when I have these things, I'm going to go down a pathway that's going to end in an orgasm. Mm-hmm. The orgasm becomes really important for us to understand, and they break down the different chemicals, which of them are bonding as far as uh, – they're going to relate our brains to feeling relaxed and happier and, okay, now I'm habitualizing this at a neurological level. It, it's all very understandable. You don't have to be a scientist to simply understand my brain is going to want to keep going back to this. I'm, it's very Pavlovian dogs, bells ringing and eating a pizza kind of science. Um, but I think every guy should understand that, and it doesn't even matter if it's not about porn. I actually am a little sad that the porn circuit focuses on porn and doesn't break it down into, okay, I just masturbate and fantasize, or I act out in these other ways. Yeah. Because I think the same stuff is happening and needs to be addressed. But I think any guy can kind of filter it out and understand what's happening in his mind. So I appreciate what you're saying, Ken, about how much this behavior – was affecting your life and your marriage without all the trappings. You could have got away with it uh, far longer than someone that gets caught with something on their computer, but you weren't getting away with it in your own life and heart. Well, you know, Aaron, I I did not like who I was and what I did. Uh, I had a heart for God as a child, and I could not get away from that. And uh, this had to be beaten. And, and God, I prayed. I did everything I knew to do to stop my behavior and couldn't do it. And it wasn't until I got with some other men, other addicts, that, that you know, God was able to use that. And that's why in the book I talk about, you know, God with skin on. Yeah, uh, my yeah. brothers, and I call them my brothers, they are God with skin on to me. They hold me accountable. They listen to my struggles uh, without judging. Sometimes I get a foot upside my rear when it, when I deserve it. Yeah. Uh, but it's all good. I, I think God intended for us to be in fellowship with each other. I mean, you know what? I I don't think I 
I, this is not in my book, but one of the things I think about is, did Jesus really need those 11 disciples to do <laughs> what he did? No, but I think he set a pattern for us, yeah. a fellowship one with another. You know, in John 15, I, one of the few scriptures I remember where it is, he says, you know, he used to call you something else, but now I call you friends. Friends, yeah. And there, there's an intimacy in that. Yeah. It's a funny word to use, ironic choice of words. But, you know, he, he wants us to be together in fellowship. We don't get through this world alone. That's we it. really don't. That's it. And whatever desperation drives us uh, into the circle of men is a good thing. Well, it's been a great conversation. I can't yeah. thank you enough, Ken, for making the drive down to be with us. Thank you very and, much. And uh, I'm excited to uh, to see to actually get my hands on a physical copy of the book. I'm honored that you sent me. You're going to get one of the first ones, and uh, the the full title is Crossroad: A Journey from Sex to Sanity. Okay. Uh, and the title was sort of written maybe to perhaps uh, reach guys who wouldn't go near a church. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing necessarily, and the cover is not very, there's no cliche, no yeah. cross or anything. Nice. So, uh, I, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, the book, if the book changes one man's life, then it was worth it. That's sure. uh, and I th- hey, Ken, if someone, if someone wants to get a hold of you and ask you some questions, maybe your journeys resonated with them in some way, how can they, how can they get into a conversation with you. Would it be okay to, to give you my email address? Sure, yeah. absolutely, yeah. It's ksnyder, K-S-N-Y-D-E-R, 211 at gmail.com. Uh, I'll have a web page uh, relating to my book and some other things. And uh, actually that, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Aaron, that I have a guest email address for my book. <laughs> it's called Crossroad Author okay. at gmail.com. There you so, go. Cool. Uh, anyone could reach me there. All right. All right. Thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Newton. Yeah. Well, I think this does it. I think this wraps another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. It's good to be back with you guys. Uh, and uh, I'm grateful for the letters. We've got uh, the a, a lot of communication has been hitting the old digital mailbox lately, and I'm uh, grateful for everyone. Keep so, them coming. Keep them coming. If there's anything uh, you'd like us to talk about, if you want to share your story, a little experience, strength, and hope, uh, any suggestion, uh, any reproof, if you need to do that, we're not allergic to it. Write to us at piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. All right, so until next week, I'm Nate. I'm Newton. And Aaron. Yeah. Mondo left early. <laughs> and uh, we'll look for you next time here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yeah.